Hello, you guys. It's Katie, and welcome to the Crime and Crochet podcast. So, if you guys don't know me from my other social media platforms, I'm Katie, and of course, I'm starting this podcast because my two biggest obsessions are true crime and crochet. So, in this podcast, I am going to be combining the two of those by every week sharing a true crime story with you guys as well as a crochet pattern. So that is my plan for each episode of the podcast and I'm going to be doing my best to not be covering cases that are too oversaturated meaning that I don't want to share cases that you guys have already heard a million times and that are always covered on true crime podcast and on YouTube, I'd rather share cases that are not as widely known. That way you're hearing new content from me. So with that, I am just going to give a couple shout outs. First, I would like to say if you want more details, you can follow the Crime and Crochet podcast on Instagram. So that is at Crime and Crochet, all one word for you guys. And that is where I will show pictures of the crochet pattern that I shout out at the end of each episode, as well as I will give information on the sources that I found all my information from for each episode. And I will also show pictures of like the person we're talking about in the episode and all of that. So with that, let's get into this first episode. So today I am covering the case of Robert Joseph Long, and he was a serial killer in the Tampa, Florida area, and the reason I've chosen this case is because, like I said earlier, I want to choose cases that I feel like people have not talked about as often, so I thought that this would be a good case, as well as I'm also from the Tampa, Florida area, so I thought that this case would be interesting to do as the first one. So, with that, let's get into Robert Joseph Long and a little bit about his early life and then the crimes he committed. So, Robert Joseph Long, also known as Bobby Joe Long, and some of his names when he was in the news were the classified ad rapist and the admin rapist. And just as a warning before we get into this, As you can tell by some of those names, I'm sure some of his crimes did include sexual assault and murder, so I do just want to give a little bit of a warning before we start this episode and before we really get into it. So, with that, let's get into who Robert really was. So, Robert Joseph Long was born on October 14th, 1953, in West Virginia to his parents, Joe and Luetta Long. Now, the main thing when I was researching this that a lot of people brought up was Robert was born with an extra X chromosome, which caused him to grow breast and female features during puberty. And he was very much bullied for this throughout school, And I'm quite sure that is something that affected him 
as a teenager and a preteen. Of course, that does not justify his killings and rapes, but that is something that was a part of his past. So when Robert was fairly young, his parents did divorce, and from what I can find online, it doesn't seem like his father was really in his life after this. So his mother was a single mother and taking care of him. And when they were living together, they lived in a one-bedroom apartment and they slept in the same bed, which I can only imagine how weird that was for both of them especially when Robert talks about the fact that his mom had multiple boyfriends over to the house and they would all be in the same bed together. So that does not sound very good for anybody in this situation, but that is something that Robert claims. So when Robert was fairly young, he got married to a woman named Cynthia and he was 21 at the time and they did have two kids together. So Robert and Cynthia ended up divorced in 1980 and if my math is correct on that that would mean that they were together for around six years and in 1981 is the start of his crimes. Now, I'm not sure if he started crimes before this, but from all the stuff I can find, it said in 1981, he became known as the classified ad rapist. And the way he got this name was he would go into newspapers and look for ads of women that needed help with something around their house So maybe they needed something fixed, like their refrigerator or something, and he would contact them through the newspaper ads and tell them that he could help them come to their house and take advantage of these women. So really terrible stuff that he did. In 1981, he committed at least 50 rapes by answering these ads that women were putting in the paper and then telling them he would help them and coming to their homes and taking advantage of them. Now, he was caught for this in 1981, and he was charged and convicted, but when he requested a new trial, that was granted, and the charges were dropped. And I'm not sure what type of loophole there was, but obviously there was something that allowed him to just get the charges dropped and that's absolutely ridiculous to me but who knows what it was like back in the 80s I know I don't know but I just know that that is absolutely ridiculous to think about considering the crimes that he goes on to commit and how they escalate but anyway moving on So I haven't been able to find a specific timeline, but a lot of sources do include the information that he did live in Long Beach, California, and he rented a room from a woman named Kathy. And when he lived there, he lived across the street from a 17-year-old girl, and he dated her. So that just shows that he definitely not only had a thing for younger women, so he was a pedophile, 
but he also just took advantage of women in any way he could. So definitely just a monster to say the least. In 1983 was when Robert moved to the Tampa, Florida area, and around that time, Hillsborough County, which is the county Tampa is in, was averaging about 30 to 35 murders a year, and that was back in the 80s, and then in 1984, it went up drastically, and you can probably connect the dots that it was because of Robert's crimes. But we're going to get into that. So when Robert started committing murders, he had very weird or I guess you could say unique things that he did. So when he would kill his victims, he would bind them, rape them, and then dump them in unusual poses or positions. So I've heard of other serial killers doing this. And they say that it is some sort of fetish that they like to see the dead bodies in certain positions, which is completely awful to think about. But when he was doing these killings, he was averaging a murder every other week. So you can see how from the time he moved to the Tampa, Florida area, how many murders were happening versus right after he moved here, the number just completely spiked. Robert's first victim was found in May of 1984 when the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office was called to a crime scene where they found the body of a nude woman. And this triggered an investigation into the abductions, rapes, and murders of at least 10 women in three counties in the Tampa area, and those counties are Hillsborough, Pasco, and Pinellas, and they involved a lot of different police departments. So they had the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, the FBI, the Tampa Police Department, the Pasco County Sheriff's Office, and the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. So you can tell that they were definitely trying their best and involving everybody to try to figure out who was involved in these cases. And the bodies were found usually in a state of decomposition, so it was very hard for them to figure out who the victims were, I'm quite sure. And they were also dumped along rural roadsides, or dragged into the woods. So obviously he was trying not to be caught for his crimes. And when they did find these poor women, they were in a very bad state. So it was hard for them to not only identify who they were, but what happened to them, how they were killed, all of that. So that was just another factor into it taking a while to figure out who committed these crimes. In 1984, Robert would drive around areas that were known for prostitution and bars, and he would find women that were alone and then convince them to come into his car with him and go to his apartment. And when they were there, he would bound them with ropes with a lot of different varieties of knots, which that comes into play later. And 
he would kill them in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes he would strangle them. Sometimes he would cut their throats. Sometimes he would bludgeon them to death. I guess it just depended on what he felt like doing. Once he had killed these victims, he would place them in really odd positions, like we talked about earlier. Sometimes they would have their legs spread apart, and of course they'd be found in these wooded areas or rural areas. And by the time they were found, they were really decomposed, like we talked about earlier. Now, five of his victims were prostitutes, two were exotic dancers, one was a factory worker, one was a student, and one was of unknown occupation. So as you can tell by the list of his 10 victims and their occupations, a lot of them that he targeted were women that were prostitutes and unfortunately in bad situations. And I've heard from a lot of other cases of serial killers, they would target women like this as well because they thought that they were less likely to be reported missing or they didn't have people that cared about them, which is really super sad to think about. But that's what I've heard from other cases is that's why they target these victims. In 1984, Robert abducted a woman by the name of Lisa and she actually was able to escape from Robert and of course she reported what happened to her to the police and they were able to find Robert and they took him in for questioning and eventually he did get charged with the sexual battery and kidnapping of Lisa and when this happened he was arrested on November 16th of 1984 and once he confessed to the sexual battery and kidnapping of Lisa, the investigators wanted to connect him to the crimes of these murders. So they focused their questioning on that and he said that he would rather not say and that he thought he needed a lawyer. But the investigators continued to question him without providing an attorney and at that point, he did confess to eight murders in Hillsborough County and one in Pasco County. Now, a lot of people might say that this was wrong because he requested an attorney, so he should have been given an attorney. But what I would say is, I've in a lot of cases, I've heard that this is a tactic that they use is even if the person says they want an attorney, they still continue to question them. And they still have the right to not talk without the attorney, but a lot of times they will crack before an attorney is provided. And I'm not sure if that's still how it works, but I do know that that's a tactic that I've heard them use a lot is they'll say, okay, we're going to get you a lawyer, we're going to get you a lawyer. And they just keep questioning them in the meantime, and they eventually crack under the pressure. So... In addition to that, they did find quite a bit of evidence connecting him to not only Lisa's abduction and kidnapping, but they did find evidence against most of his victims as well. So when they captured him, they found the ropes, ligature marks, semen, carpet fibers, cl clothing, 
all kinds of stuff like that that he used in these crimes. Plus, there was forensic evidence analyzed by the FBI that linked Long's vehicle to most of the victims. And I realized I just said Long, and I've been calling him Robert the whole time, but you get the point. They're the same person. On September 24th of 1985, Robert reached a plea bargain with the Hillsborough County State's Attorney's Office, so he pleaded guilty to the homicides and the abduction and rape of Lisa that all occurred in Hillsborough County, and he received 26 life sentences without the possibility of parole and seven life sentences with the possibility of parole after 25 years from the Hillsborough County State's Attorney's Office for pleading guilty to those eight homicides and abduction and rape. So in addition to all of those life sentences he got, the state was also able to seek the death penalty for the murder of Michelle Sims in July of 1986. This went to trial in Tampa, and he was convicted of this crime and sentenced to the electric chair in Florida. Now, I'm assuming that Michelle Sims was the murder victim that he murdered in Pasco County because he was already convicted of the eight murders in Hillsborough County. So I'm assuming that's how they were able to try him separately and get the death penalty even after he took that plea bargain. So like I said, he was sentenced to the electric chair. That was back in July of 1986. And he was later killed by lethal injection because by the time he was killed on death row, the electric chair was ruled unconstitutional in Florida. And he did try to appeal all of his sentences multiple times, but it obviously never worked out for him because on May 26th of 2019, he was executed by lethal injection in Florida. So with that, that pretty much wraps up the gist of the case for Robert Joseph Long, also known as the classified ad rapist and the admin rapist. So next we're going to move on to the crochet pattern that I have to shout out for you guys in this episode. So this first crochet pattern is one that I've created, but from every episode from now on, I will be shouting out other crochet creators. So this first one is a crochet pattern that I made a while back, and it is a free crochet pattern for the bulky yarn throw pillowcase. So if you guys are interested in seeing a picture of that or using that crochet pattern, make sure you head over to the Instagram that is at crime and crochet to not only see my resources for this case and where I got my information, but also to see where you can find the crochet pattern and the pictures of the crochet pattern and pictures of Robert Joseph Long. All of that will be included on the Instagram page at Crime and Crochet the day that this is released. 
So with all of that, I really hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this first episode of Crime and Crochet. If you did, the best way to help me out is to leave a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening on. And with that, I will also leave you with a reminder to follow at Crime and Crochet on Instagram to not only see the crochet pattern I shout out every week, but also to get updates on new episodes and to also give me some input on what cases you would like to see, what crochet patterns I shout out in every episode, and all of that. With that, I hope you guys will tune in to the next episode next Saturday of Crime and Crochet, and make sure that you are staying safe out there so you don't become one of these victims that we talk about each week. And with that, goodbye y'all!